I grudge them, grudge the man, you know. I threw him a fight for black liberation. And him a one true warrior. Them I want to try to stop him. But them can't stop the man. Them can't stop Raheem Shabazz. That's why anytime me want to listen to revolutionary liberation vibes, me tune into Necessary Blackness podcast. Me not hear them like a Yaga Yaga podcast them. I be a Necessary Blackness me rock with. Anytime me want to hear a true warrior talking. Peace and power, black family. This is your host, Raheem Shabazz, and we are here for another episode of Necessary Blackness Podcast. And today, family, we have a special guest in the building, and his name is P.S. Divine. Now, P.S. Divine is an author, and he is a martial artist, and he is the author of the book called Baby Bye. And this book is an urban crime suspense thriller. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome P.S. Divine to the Necessary Blackness podcast. How are you, my brother? Peace, peace. I'm doing well. Peace, everyone. All right. Now, this book that I'm holding in my hand, Baby Bye, I'm going to read you a quick synopsis of it. And it says, Baby Bye begins with a vicious quarrel between a man and a woman. An enraged Laura spruce her hatred towards her tormentor, Sean, who is struggling to control his anger and the situation at hand. I'm not going to give you no more spoilers because we got the man here Absolutely. himself. So tell us, Irving, crime, suspense, thriller. That's like all the genres <laughs> and key for success. Absolutely. Why this book and why you the author? Absolutely. Well, um, to give a background about the book, uh, about 16 years ago, I was actually um, incarcerated for a crime I didn't commit. And while I was in there, you know, I was, you know, pretty much trying to find a way to collect my thoughts. And I was writing before and was doing short stories, but never put together a novel. So I said, all right, let me put together a novel. And I kind of winged it at first. And uh, because of the element, the environment I was in and the elements I was around, I was writing something to address that particular audience because I was reading it to cats while we was out on the yard. So, you know, me, one of my favorite authors is Donald Goins and the other is Edgar Allan Poe. And the two type of genres that I love was the urban genre, obviously, because that's the environment I come up out of. And that's what I could relate to and actually, you know, speak to genuine stories, but uh, also wanted to make it suspense. So it was more than just the average ur urban, you know, book. You know what I mean? So. so this book, it deals with a lot of situations that we may find ourselves in if we live in the urban community. What are some of those uh, situations that one may encounter when reading this book? Well, the book, you know, the main, the two main characters is uh, Shine and uh, his, his woman, Lola. And it pretty much starts off with them having a domestic dispute, a pretty heated domestic dispute in front of their uh, three-year-old son, Trayvon. And, um, you know, as a result of this dispute, you know, Shine runs out of the house in an emotional rage, you know, and also backed by the motivation of one of his best friends, Gorilla Leak, ends up finding himself uh, committing his first murder. And the book kind of like spins off from there. And I don't want to give too much without, you know, without going, I mean, go too deep into that story, but pretty much while Shine is grope, you know, you know, coping with, his internal feelings and everything he's going through as far as having commit this murder, he's also being faced with the fact that some of his actions is not necessarily just messing up his life, but messing up the life of the community that he's in, the people around him. So the book touches on gentrification, uh, police corruption, as well as uh, police brutality and gang violence. And it ties it all in. And Pretty much what Shine ends up finding out, you know, one of the things that happened as a result of him committing this murder is obviously he tells spins into, uh, you know, into a conflict with the uh, uncle of the person that he killed who happened to be a drug lord. But during this time, he also meets a sister named Eden, who is a conscious sister. Um, he sees and initially he's attracted to her physically. You know, she has the long dreads, the ankh sitting between her cleavage, you know 
voluptuous shape and everything. And he's attractive physically, but his encounter with her proves to be a lot more. She ends up opening his mind to, you know, pretty much self-realization in a sense of how he was harming not only himself, but his community and start explaining to him his, the plight of what was going on. And as a result, he finds out that, you know, the, through police corruption, though, at this whole time where he's thinking that, you know, he's being more of a man and being tougher in his gang's, gangster lifestyle, he's finding out that, you know, a lot of this culture that he was engrossed in was being manipulated by the police. And it was being manipulated purposely to drive down the value of property in their neighborhood and increase the insurance in order to drive people out eventually. Not to mention Sheba, I mean, pardon me, Eden, uh, makes the brother shine aware to the fact that, you know, when he gets incarcerated, he's actually pushing himself down a pipeline that's going toward private private prisons. Now, I got to ask you one question. You said this is a fictional book? Yeah, it's a fictional book. Yeah. This sounds like something that happens every day in modern day America. Black yes. society. Can you relate to this? Absolutely. We are talking about domestic violence. We're talking about police brutality. We're talking about gentrification. These are the ills of society in this day and this time. And then you talked about the sister that had the unk in between the cleavage of her breasts. And she opened the third eye of this brother. Mm, mm. And it just goes to tell you, man, if you want to get it right, man, let a black woman do it. Facts. Facts. So I am definitely excited about uh, reading this book. I have my copy and I implore each and every one of y'all to go get you a copy of this book. Now, where can um, individuals get a copy of this book? You could go on Amazon.com and look up Baby Buy. That's the title, but make sure you put buy p.s.divine that's p.s. divine um and you know it takes a little time it's 18.95 on amazon but the best way if you want that book right away you want a personalized copy is to inbox me um you can follow me on instagram at p.s.divine again it's p.s.divine and if you inbox me, uh, I'll show you how to make arrangements to uh, pay me and I'll ship out the book to you. Um, I've had nothing but good responses, great responses. Now, even though the book touches on a lot of heavy topics, the heavy topics is kind of like having nutrients inside of a cake. You know what I mean? So mm. the actual part that's appealing to most of our people in that book is going to be the crime aspect. You know, there's, there's heavy violence in the book. There's erotic scenes in the book. But as you get in deep into the book, you realize there's a purpose and hence the title Baby Bye, because one of the realizations the brother comes to realize um, in talking with uh, the sister Eden was that a lot of his behavior, you know, chasing women was called the game, getting hustling was called the game, you know, being in a gang to a point was called the game. He realized that games were for children and that the black youth in the hood and that was they were coming of age to their maleness or their, you know, coming into their adulthood, they were being in a sense, you know, they were regressing because of their culture, that they were actually being more, they were functioning more like babies than men. So, you know, of course, you know, some of Francis Cress Wilson's philosophy is in the book, uh, wherein as the female, uh, the sister I spoke about, she's telling them, you know, you guys refer to, you know, each other as ma, your home is crib. You know, you, can, you can't, you know, every time you want to fight somebody just because they talking, you know, sideways at you, that's the equivalent of an emotional tantrum that wherein you thinking you joining the gang and hustling and you being a man because you holding down the fort, you actually are being deceived into being more of a baby. And then one of the part scenes of the book, he talks to one of the police that, you know, it gets revealed, you know, the corruption and a police officer tells him policing is the new parenting. We've been watching y'all on the corner since y'all been growing up. We got pictures of y'all, photo albums, and we could tell which one of y'all are going to make it in the prison and the penal system and get that education the way we see fit, or which one of y'all is going to go to, you know, go on to college or, you know, get a job and so forth. So while it touches on a lot of those things, there's a lot of suspense in the book. Um, the borderline horror in some parts, you know, parts of the book, but, uh, it's been a lot of good feedback. I've had excellent, everybody, I mean, I've had about 60% of the reviews that I have that I saved that come on my, um, Instagram and you can see it on my Instagram about mo most of them. The people are saying they want to see this as a movie one day. That was my next question because here in the bio section on the back, 
It says, P.S. Divine is Atlanta-based author, screenwriter, and poet, and he is the president of Hypocrisy Publishing and co-founder of Created G Media. Yep, yep. Because that sounds like a movie. That sounds like a cult classic that we need right now to watch during this quarantine. Because I don't know how many times I can watch <laughs> Jukes. I don't know how many more times I can watch Boys in the Hood. And um, Black Hollywood is definitely lacking something of this magnitude. And I haven't read the book, but just you sitting here and explaining it. I'm a visual person. I'm visualizing mm, this mm. until becoming a movie. Mm. And being that I am a filmmaker... We might have to have that conversation. Say no more. <laughs> but this, this, well, we have we have to go to somebody to get the budget for it though, because <laughs> the Raheem Shabazz poor man fund is running out, man. <laughs> but yeah, ladies and gentlemen, man, make sure you definitely go support our brother P.S. Divine. And for those that are just joining us, P.S. Divine is an author, screenwriter, and martial artist. Now, hypocrisy. Publishing, that's your company. Yeah, absolutely. So in addition to that, you know, my main goal is to always highlight uh, black individuals, black business that are doing phenomenal things. And um, this is a black publishing company. Do you um, publish other authors' books and things like absolutely. that? Absolutely. I'm actually working. My martial art teacher who brought me into martial arts is a, um, a legend in the arts, uh, created his own system. Uh, used to bodyguard I mean who the who who of you know of the entertainment industry and he has a book now that I'm working on that I'm actually editing for him. So I'm working on editing a couple of things. Uh, I have another brother that uh actually has a book about being incarcerated and I'm working on that book as well. So we have a couple of projects lined up. See the hypocrisy publishing that word hypocrisy it represents a, the culture we're trying to push it's more of a movement and a culture and the reason why it's hypocrisy is because on the surface it looks hood because that's our culture and the reason why we identify with the urban culture is because for us in the western hemisphere that was our right to passage into warriorhood mm. and that's how we became warriors is through that urban environment so it's important to never let lose sight of that or to make anybody make us feel bad about having that, for lack of a better term, the hood mentality or the hood appearance, but it's hoodpocrisy, just like the word hypocrisy. So hypocrisy means that you know when somebody says something, it's not necessarily how they live it. So hoodpocrisy represents, though it looks like that on the surface, it's much more deeper down. You know, so it's like Raheem Shabazz. You know, he has that swag to him, he has the urban vibe to him. But when you speak to him and you have a conversation, what you hear is a genius. You hear intelligence, and too often people that don't come in the hood don't know we have those gems in the hood that we actually have an intelligent expression that on the surface comes out you know part of me an intelligence that on the surface comes out as an urban expression so that's what hypocrisy is you know in my book you know we drop in jewels but you know it's an urban book so you know there's violence in there you know for my sisters you know just straight up you know there's there's a lot of fucking in there you know I'm pardon me if I can say that nah yeah yeah this is you know a I mean? necessary blackness podcast we are unfiltered dealing with that violence mm. we gonna go to our second segment um, and we're going to talk about the violence that is inflicted and visit upon the heads mm. of black people. We're talking about the violence against us from these race soldiers who are nothing more than an occupying army in our community. We're talking about police violence. Mm. So we're going to take a quick commercial break and we're going to come back with P.S. Divine and we're going to talk about police violence. We're going to talk about warriorhood and how you can teach and train yourself to be prepared for encounters, mm. whether it's from your immortal enemy or someone that has a badge or a gun. Because it's time, Black America. This is Necessary Blackness Podcast, and I am your host, Raheem Shabazz, and we'll be back real quickly after this quick commercial break check out mcj musicculturejournalism.com hip-hop is a global movement reaching all aspects of music culture and journalism mcj 
is the premier destination for culture-driven video and editorial content around the country. Check out musicculturejournalism.com. Log on today. Elementary Genocide provides a critical expose of mass incarceration, the war on drugs, and the connection between slavery, capitalism, and the prison industrial complex. Visit our website at www.elementarygenocide.com. Now available, Elementary Genocide, the School to Prison Pipeline. Elementary Genocide 2, the Board of Education versus the Board of Incarceration. And the newest release, Elementary Genocide 3, Academic Holocaust. Log on today to purchase your very own three-set docuseries. Wingy Apparel is the latest fly and revolutionary streetwear to hit the market. Wingy is the outfitters of freedom fighters everywhere. Wingy is a Swahili word that means abundance. No one has ever gone broke by giving. So if you have it in abundance, sharing is better than receiving. Follow us on Instagram at Wingy Apparel. That's at W-I-N-G-I-A-P-P-A-R-E-L. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back from our quick commercial break. And for those that are just joining us, I am here with P.S. Devine. He is the author of Baby Bye. Make sure you go get that book. It's on Amazon, and you can also get it exclusively from him. I prefer you get it from him, man, so you get a signed copy. (laughs) Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. Absolutely. You know, don't give Amazon all that money. Cut the middleman out. Yeah, Amazon take a lot of money, don't they, man? They take a whole lot of money, man. They act like they wrote it. Yeah, man. (laughs) My DVDs be off the, 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 the sales be off the roof when I get that royalty from Amazon, I'd be like, I don't know about this, man. That made them pretty buck. Yeah, man. So, when we're talking about police violence, man, we know this has been a hot topic. Um, Those that had no desire of any formal change in the police department are starting to realize that something got to change. Then you have those that still believe that you can reform the police department, and we all know that you can't reform a devil, so I don't know how you think you're going to reform a whole department, (laughs) but that's another story. But the main topic is defunding the police department. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Well, this is the thing. I don't necessarily know if defunding it is going to work. I think that because the reason why I say this is because defunding the police department, that idea came out of you know, we got two warring sides right now that really don't care about us, right and left, right? The democracy and Republican, and they're fighting each other and they're using us for their votes. And that the funding the police idea actually came out of the, the Democrat side. And my thing about that is this if you defund the police, the police right now as a union is heavily Republican. The teachers for so for instance, the teachers union is heavily democratic. If you defund the police as the Democrats want them to do, do we set up a police order or a security force that they're in control of? Because now you have a partisan security force that only another political party owns and they have more control over it. I think that no matter whether they defund the police, whether they send money into the police, the biggest issue that we need to worry about in the black community is self-defense. That, you know, I remember the times when we had people like the Guardian Angels. Um, You know, my thing is just, look, if you're a racist cop, stay to your neighborhood. Don't come in our neighborhood. Let us protect ourselves. So we, rather than push the Democrats' agenda of defunding the police, because a lot of that is very similar to what happened during the time of the brown shirts and Hitler, where, you know, the brown shirts was, you know, saying that they needed to defund the soldiers or remove this, uh, the quote unquote military or the police or the authorities from having that authority. It's not that they got rid of it. They just changed it from a bipartisan police department to a more partisan police department, meaning that the, the Democrats is likely going to be the ones that will fund the next quote unquote security arm or this, the arm patrol. They'll have the next patrol following behind their agenda. So I think what is more important is that at this time, we need to focus more attention on funding our own black security forces within the black community. Because we have black people that can legally be armed. There's laws that protect security. 
Just like you have security at clubs that protect club establishments, we can have securities that patrol our, our neighborhoods. Uh, you know, in Brooklyn, I know they had the Muslim patrol at one point in time, you know, yeah. where they literally went around in police-looking cars, had uniforms. The answer a lot of Yeah, exactly. The Jews have it in their The Jews have it in their Just like the Jews Today. have their own ambulance. It's like when Gavin Cato, back in, I think, 91, 92, he was murdered. Uh, a Jewish driver ran a red light, smashed through the red light, smashed a young black boy and crowd heights pinned them up against the wall and you know there was nothing but riots in my neighborhood during that summer and you know a lot of the problems that well one of the issues was when the ambulance came to save you know to the scene they instead of saving a black boy they went and rescued the two jewish drivers who were barely hurt and left the black boy there to die what we should have done at that point instead of jumping out and, and screaming on the Jews for what they were doing, we should have actually came and created our own ambulance service. Just like right now, we should create our own security force, our own security service, and tell the police, look, you, you have no right to be up in here. You know, Huey P. Newton and them stood defiantly in the face of the cops and were able to police their own neighborhoods for a period of time, you know what I mean, until they obviously had internal dissension. But I think right now we should be looking to fund our own security forces in our own hood and leave their system to do what it do. You know, my knowledge on defunding the police is centered around taking the funding from the police. For instance, if it's $100 million, do a financial forensic on the police department as a whole. Mm. There's too much policing. There's policing in school. Um, if something is going on with a homeless man, the police is called. Mm. If my music is too loud, the police is called. Like, it's not the police job to babysit. Police should be fighting crime. Me playing my music is not a crime. Someone's homeless, that's not a crime. You know, that's society's problem. And us as a society, we have mental health specialists that can deal with the homeless. We got individuals that can provide shelter. We have maybe someone that can come and be an arbitrator or, you know, dissolve conflict. All right, he's not going to play his music high after 10 o'clock. That's the agreement. No police need to be called, and it's handled like that. So I think money for that, you know, the homeless calling on, on that that shouldn't even hit nine one one. It should be directed to another switchboard. Um, those uh, organizations, those community based programs, um, those need to be funded. Um, I, you know, I don't necessarily think people really going to believe that there should be no police, you know what I mean? Because some of you niggas need to be in jail. Now, let me stop. But no, we we, we, we got to have some type of um structure. Now, some of us can't imagine a world without police. I can. Um, I think if we are going to utilize the police, we need to have a residency clause. We need to have individuals that live in a three to five mile radius um, from the environment that Facts. they patrol. Uh, one of the police that was involved in George Floyd's situation, they caught uh, him at, I think it was Cup Food or something like that, um, out there in, that, yeah. in, in, in the store. And, and the lady put him on blast. Like, yeah, you out of jail. and You, you should have seen him. He was mm. shook daddy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because, you know, when he got arrested, and you get a bail uh, agreement, you're not allowed to possess, own, or be in the mm -hmm. vicinity of a firearm. Excellent. So he didn't have a gun with him. Um, and he's no longer protected, you know, by the by that by that blue wall. So mm -hmm. I, I think that police will realize that um when you harass me, you're gonna see me in Kroger on Saturday. Mm -hmm. And then you're gonna see me in the parking lot of your favorite church on Sunday. So when you see me again, you're probably going to leave me alone. <laughs> you know, so this is why. And then not only that, you know, nine times out of ten, you know, people's kids play together. Mm. You know, it's a community. Everybody knows everybody. And, you know, it, it would be totally, it would be totally different. And our thing is, my thing is this.
police do locally what the military does globally, right? True. And you can't be anti-police and pro-military. They're the same. You know, it's just that you have daily interactions with the police. But if you was overseas and living in one of them third world company countries, you would know more about the military than you would care to know. Because mm. it ain't all good. Mm. You know. Um, and you know, you make a good point because, you know, it's like, I guess, I guess, you know, being precise, I would say reallocating funds rather than defunding because, yeah, I agree 100%. You know, one of the things when I used to rock out with the December 12th movement in, in New York was we, you know, wanted to have more policemen that came out of our neighborhood because if he come out your neighborhood, he deals with you differently. You know that guy, you know, you grew up with him. He's, he know You know his family. Like you said, if he does something wrong, you might catch him off in Cub Foods or off in the bodega. You know, if, you know. Yeah, you might be able to get a fair one. <laughs> exactly, you know. Like, the, you know, back in the days when the Irish, you know, were going through what they were going through, they started, you know, joining the police force. They were all in the same neighborhood. So if they came around and they saw that, you know, O'Neill was drunk and was beating his wife, they wouldn't necessarily haul him off to to jail. They'd be like, yo, just walk around the block. O'Neill, come on, you know you're bugging out. You know, just go walk around the block, go back in. We'll be dealt with dealt with differently. And I think that, you know, what they should do with funding wise is, you know, exactly what you said is allocate, reallocate some of those funds toward other things. So yes, if there's a homeless person or somebody with a mental health issue going on, that we're able to dispatch somebody that can be more prepared and properly prepared to take handle that situation. Or in a sense of, you know, saying, hey, you know, you guys, you know, you guys get a bonus every year. If you have so many, you know, calls on your on your collar, you know, that, you know, saying that you was handling things, you know, as far as police misconduct, you know, you don't get your bonus. And, you know, police officers obviously want to get their bonus because they barely get paid that much. The only thing is if we keep policing in play and we talk about defunding them, one or two things happen is one, one segment of the government controls them and it becomes partisan or two you have a police force that you know are not really making much and then we have new york city 1970s 1980s again where they're extremely corrupt you know what i mean like in la or new york because now they got to compensate which is going back to part of the book too they got to compensate for not making that bread they already corrupt the street. yeah they are corrupt they are corrupt absolutely but now we give you ever them heard of the 30 you ever heard of the it's i was gonna say 30 30 you ever heard of the Dirty 30. Yeah, yeah, no <laughs> doubt. The no South doubt. Bronx, Apache. Oh, that's right, yep, absolutely. Uh, the 44th precinct, well, yep. man, you can't no get doubt. no more corrupt than that. Absolutely. But let, let's let's move along, right, to our, our next subject, right, because in a perfect world, there won't be no police. In a perfect Facts, world, we true. wouldn't need police. In a perfect world, we can defund the police. 100. But I'm a realist, right, and that may happen, but it ain't going to happen in the next weeks, months, or probably this year. So we got to learn how to be able to defend ourselves. And I'm not necessarily speaking about the police. I'm speaking about anybody that poses a threat to you or your family. Mm. And if it be the police, so be it. Mm. You need to be able to defend yourself. And... um. I watch your videos, and I implore everybody to go online, man, find his brother videos. Um, he's out there, and he's training his son. And in one of his videos, very popular one, he talks about survival preparedness. Mm. Um, can you just give us some of the tips that a novice needs to know about survival preparedness. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing is that you always want to be prepared. So you want to have something. The first thing I would say that anybody would need to have is something called EDC, which is everyday carry. It's what you carry on your body every single day in case emergency situation happens. It doesn't have to be a big backpack. You know, it could be like with me, I may have, I have a, a subcompact gun, a small gun that's concealed. I have a knife, but a knife not for you know, weaponry, but also for tools. I have a bag, a bug out bag in my car. And in that bug out bag, I have, you know, everything from shelter, 
to clo- uh, extra clothing, to a first aid kit, to flashlights, to you know supplies I need to make fire. So one of the things is the reasons why you want to have this is because you just never know what type of situation you might find yourself in. Uh, it could be you just traveling on the road with your family and your car gets broken down and you guys are stranded you know, often in the woods, there's wilderness around you. And in a case like that, if you ever find yourself where you're not necessarily near civilization, you want to make sure that, you know, if you are stranded, that within the first three hours that you at least find some form of shelter. And the reason why is because you can't never really, de- you can't ever really determine what the weather's going to be like and how it'll change up. And that shelter is your first go-to to protect you from the weather. Uh, you don't know if the weather will change up. So you always want to have three hours, be able to find suitable material to create, uh, to uh, you know, to fashion out shelter for you, and then the other thing that you want to make certain that you're looking for is a source of water. Uh, if there's no sources of water around you whatsoever, you have to get the moving, have to get the hike, have to get the looking for one, or even dig in the dirt and create create one if you can find a, a source beneath your feet. And you have three days uh, to find that source of water. The reason why three days is because after three days, your body you start becoming more delirious. Your brain is not functioning as much. You're not alert. Um, your body starts pulling back on you, so you're not able to protect yourself and keep it moving, let alone find any type of food. Uh, you know, and then and, and there's different things you can use in a survival case. You know, if you have your cell phone, most people carry cell phones. Uh, most people don't know if you have cotton and you just keep cotton on you. Remember what I said that EDC, everyday carry. If I have cotton on me and I have a cell phone, I can take my battery put it to the cotton and cause a spark that could cause that could create fire giving me momentarily you know for a temporary period of time I can get fire as long as I have something else around whether it's dry leaves or even papers to make that fire get bigger so you know and these things are important because what happened to me what one of the things that I see um, especially when I came to the South, was that in urban environments, we had the heart, but we didn't have the know-how in order to survive. You know, we have the heart to survive and these Caucasians, a lot of them out here, they don't have the heart to survive, but they got the know-how, you know? So if a situation happened and we stranded, we want to make sure we can amply fend for ourselves, feed ourselves, and, and make sure that we shelter ourselves. That was well said, brother. That was well said. Now... I really just got into um, having a bug out bag and um, learning certain survivalist techniques. And I always, you know, I look at my life and I always said I always made good out of bad situations. Mm. But some of the stuff that I read in here, I'm like, man, that ain't going to happen to me, (laughs) you know, because it's deep. You know, there's certain um, uh, plants that you can eat for nutrition. Mm. You got to know what plants you can eat. Mm. There's certain plants that um, you can use as medicine, Mm. you know, because, you know, we we, we ain't dealing with chemically medicine Mm. or anything like that that's prescribed from a doctor. We dealing with natural medicine, which comes from the plant. So I know a lot of these things help, right? Did you ever have uh, a real-life situation where you had to rely on your skills and something that you had read in the survival preparedness or that mm. you learned that it kicked in and it mm. it, it saved mm. the day? Yeah, indeed. I, had, um, I never had a situation where I had to search for food, uh, you know, but not knock on wood, but I had a situation where I was stranded on the side of a highway during a blizzard not too many years back out here in Georgia. Oh, you talking about when it snowed? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I was trying I to make that. it home. Yeah, so you know, I got out and I looked around and it was really no way for me to try to make any trek back to the house. And inside the car, you know, at this point, my gas was done. I'm stranded and I had my emergency blanket. And I also had my MREs, which are meals ready to eat. I keep this in my bug out bag. And this wasn't an Armageddon type of situation, but it was a situation that called for having the products that I actually had. So I keep an extra pair of socks in there, was able to throw that on. I put my emergency blanket on to keep warm. And emergency blanket looks like a thin piece of aluminum foil, but that thing keeps you warm. And I basically camped out until the next day, about a day and a half, and they were able to get the traffic up. 
Uh, there were other people that ambulance came. I'm not certain what happened, but you know, they were in the same predicament as me as having to stay in their car overnight. And it wasn't pretty back then. It was cold. It was freezing. It was, hell. It was freezing. And, and then the roads was icy. Traffic was at a standstill. Mm-hmm. They couldn't get nobody to come get you. You just had to stay there. Absolutely. It was school buses and and everything. And what made it bad is because Atlanta wasn't prepared for this type of weather. Mm -hmm. And I think um, the mayor or the governor at that time just, you know, put out a bulletin that everybody go home. Mm -hmm. Instead of, you know, trying to get, you know, get the kids home, send the parents home, all federal workers. It was just everybody go home. So you have everybody leaving from work, school at the same time during the worstest traffic ever Mm -hmm. with black ice. And yeah, it was ugly. And guess where I was at? In my crib, chilling, watching it on the news. (laughs) Like, yo, this is crazy. But you was out there dealing with those elements. Indeed. And you had your uh, blanket. Yeah, absolutely. I've had to use my first aid kit several times. I mean, I have four boys and a daughter. And, you know, I've actually stabbed myself one time by accident and had to pull it out. So it comes in handy and it's just something good to have. You know, I mean, if something, even something simple as just a cut, you can jump right into it, patch it up and you keep it moving. So, yeah, I have this book. It's called SAS Survival Guide. Yes, And this is a very popular book. As soon as I showed it to the brother, he was like, man, I got that book. My kids got it. (laughs) But it says over 1 million copies sold worldwide. Mm. And this is a a pocket. You you can put this in your pocket. Um, This book is phenomenal. It got everything in here from uh, camp craft to Mm. how to tie a knot. It even you know, tells you, you if you're in an airplane accident, the best way if the airplane's going down to, you know, how to actually safeguard yourself to the best way possible from dying in that crash by running to the back. So it has almost every type of scenario. It's a perfect book because you don't have to read through the whole thing. You just keep it on you. And if you're in that scenario, just flip that page open. Yeah. You know what? I need to get me another copy because this stays in my house on my shelf. And this is so small, I can just have it in my car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this is a good book. Now, in in your video, you was also um, teaching your sons about certain plants. Absolutely. And um, what, what what type of plants individuals should look for? Uh, in Georgia, one of the biggest things you're going to find is onions. I mean, onions are abundant out here. I'm almost certain we could walk outside and just if as soon as we walk into some greenery, you'll see some onion plants. And you can always tell them uh, it almost looks like if anybody's seen scallions, mm-hmm. it almost looks like a, a thinner version of a scallion sticking out the ground. And of course, you know, nobody wants to eat an onion straight up. But guess what? If you're in a situation where there's no food, you're going to chow down on onions. Um, there's different plants you can take. You can even cook dandelions, take dandelions and be able to boil that up for remedies and medicine. Um, but but you can also chew on it as well. Now, if you're not adept at knowing all the plants, there's different tests you can actually run to figure out which one is edible and which one is not. Uh, one of the first things you want to do is if you pick up a plant and you're not familiar with it, you know, you don't see that, you know, it's something like an onion or something that, you know, you can actually eat. You want to take right in between the crease of your uh, elbow, right between your forearm and your bicep, you want to take the plant and just rub it lightly on your flesh and just wait for about 15 minutes or so. And if you don't have any type of rash or any breakout, then it's like, okay, cool. You know, I can actually, you know, at least now put this to my mouth, but don't ingest it yet. What you want to do after that is you want to put it to your lips and then, you know, rub it a little bit and then move away. And again, wait a little bit of time. And then if you don't feel any, the, the key to this is when you put it on your lips, you may not break out, but you'll feel some type of stinging or burning sensation. Not necessarily like heat burning, but kind of like a tingling situation, uh, like almost like a skin irritation. Mm. And if you don't feel that, then guess what? The next step to make to test it will be to actually place it in your mouth, chew a little bit of it, but don't swallow it. Just hold it in your mouth. And again, if the same thing, if there's no reaction, then you know you can actually swallow it. Swallow that little piece, and then you have to wait 
uh, roughly eight hours to see if you have your body has any reaction to that small amount. And if it doesn't, then after eight hours, you could chow down on it. Now, the thing about it is we're talking about a situation where there's no food around and you're stranded. So, yeah, you have to have a little patience. You can't just go in and start gobbling things up if you don't know what it is. But this is the best way to make certain that, you know, you're not ingesting anything that's going to get you sick or, you know, incapacitate you to the point that you can't survive. And really the key to this is if you really want to be, you know, prepared for any type of situation like that, start fasting now. So when you're out there, you can fast and hold off just enough time to figure out whether or not the food is edible. Wow. That that is something that each and every one of us should know. And I know 85% of this listening audience did not know that you take a small piece and put it in the fold of your uh, forearm yep. and to see if it's uh, if if it's poison ivory. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. You don't you don't you don't want to uh, ingest that. <laughs> but there's so many other different things. So we discussed about the three hours to find shelter, three mm -hmm. days to find water. And how to tell um, if a plant is poisonous or if it's something that you can find some nutritional value in to keep you alive. Mm. What What's the next most important thing that we should do? Well, we covered uh, water. We covered shelter. Now, and, and mind you, when I say shelter, that doesn't mean you're going to go build a big ass tent. You know, shelter could be if you found the trash bag or if you had a trash bag on yourself, it's covering you from the elements. And, you know, you can cut holes in a trash bag. I can't display it now, but you can use that as shelter in case it rains and so forth. But obviously, you, you want to make certain that you get fire. And fire is something that, you know, believe it or not, is not as hard to find out in the wilderness or to come about. I mean, one of the things I keep in my bug out bag is a, uh, it looks like a, ref it's not a reflecting glass. It looks like a uh, just a clear, transparent sheet. And it's actually a magnifying glass. Mm. So what I do is it looks like a notebook sheet, like an eight by 10 notebook sheet. And it's just see-through, uh, almost look like a little thin piece of glass. And in case I need fire, if it's high noon and if it's, you know, out sunny out, I can use that, get a little bit of, you know, twigs, some dry leaves and so forth, and use that to uh, funnel the, the light from the sun and cause and create a fire that way. Uh, again, another way is keeping cotton on you at all time. Mm -hmm. You always keep a cell phone so you could take your battery out, just try it, put it up to the cotton. You'll see the little spark. You just got to make sure you're near something that can actually get that fire. Um, I also keep a flint on me. I used to keep one on my keychain. I just never know when I'm going to need fire. So if I have to need fire at that point, I could just pull out my flint, flick it a couple of times, get the right thing, and I'm good. Obviously, fire is good because you want to, if you're in a cold situation, you need heat. Uh, it's obviously good because if you want to be able to cook food and you have food you can cook, you want to be able to do that. And then also, if you're not in a situation where, you know, you're not behind enemy lines or you're not worried about, you know, threats from predators or anything like that in the, in the wilderness, you can use fire at night to as light and be able to see as well so so there you have it that is a short version of being prepared and we definitely want to thank our brother man for his survival preparedness knowledge that he just dispersed upon us and i employ all you brothers and all you sisters to um get this book uh or any book that Matter of fact, you give us a recommendation because, you know, I, I got this little book, but I'm, I'm sure um, there's probably another book mm -hmm. that other people can get. Would you recommend this one or you yeah, have a favorite I, I, I that would, you would recommend? No, I, I, that's the SAS guide is perfect. I mean- Why is it called SAS? That's the that's coming from the British. Uh, that's their military. That's like their- "Quote unquote" uh, version of the Marines, I guess you could say, because it's really oh, okay. their survival guide. Um, but it, but it's you know it's used everywhere. You know it's used by even American military and so forth. Um, but as far as learning these things, I would you know there's not necessarily so many books. I have a book on plants uh, because I'm not really. 
I don't know every single plant there is to know out there. There are some people out there like that. I keep it in my bug out bag. That's called The Forester's Harvest. It's an yeah. excellent book. It's like an encyclopedia of all the plants. Uh, one thing, I have another book also. I can't remember the title of it, but I will tell you each state has the um, a book like this. It actually tells you the um, plants and the natural you know, wildlife of your state. And mm. every state has that. You need to know that because if I'm in Georgia and I get stuck out here, not only do I know need to know what plants I need to eat, but I need to know what snakes I could touch, what snakes are coming around that are harmful, what animals are harmful. So you definitely want to have that. And I guarantee you probably can get that online. Yeah, absolutely. Online. Absolutely. I mean, there's several books out there. I mean, there's a book called... I mean, this is a little different. This is more um, urban, uh, I guess... Security, I guess you could say. Yeah. Uh, Fighting in the Streets is a good book. Uh, but I would suggest, you know, there's different people that actually, it's just like a martial artist. You want to be able to go to someone that can actually teach you and train you as opposed to just getting a book because then you could get out. We call it getting out into the field. You know, we get out in the field and that's what we do our learning at. Uh, you know, when I was coming up, a lot was taught to me by my father. Um, I had another brother that was uh, instrumental in mentoring me and, uh, and, you know, the skills of survival. And, you know, it's better to actually be around someone and get that skills directly from them. So. Yeah, and here go two other books you might find that are very popular and very well worth the read. And this is by Brother uh, Balagoon, mm. and it's called The African Warrior's Bible. Mm. And he also has another book called Never Unarmed, The African Warrior's Guide to Impoverished Weapons. Because mm. guess what? We are never unarmed. Mm. Everything is a weapon. Whether it's a cup of coffee that might be slightly hot. Facts. Um, everything. It, 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 it can be a donut. The donut got crumbs. Throw those crumbs in someone's eyes hmm. Hmm. and see, and see the, what the first thing they do. They're going to put their hands up to their eyes. Hmm. So they leave everything else open for you. Facts. But there, there's so many things. Um, many of you brothers, hmm. you know... Um, I don't even want to call you gang culture, who are part of a street organization. Mm. You have your your flag or your bandana hanging from the back of your pocket, right? If you just snap that out of your pocket and mm. hit someone in the face with that, you can take out somebody's eye That's just with a bandana. I can, I you, and I learned this from an old timer. Mm. Yeah, he took a newspaper mm. and showed me how to fold it in a certain way. If I hit you on your knee or your yeah, arm, yeah, you facts. would scream. Facts. It felt like he hit Stick. me with a bat. Yeah, facts. So it's just little things like that we have to be prepared for. What we're going to do real quick, we're going to take one more commercial break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to talk a little more for those that are just joining us. We are with P.S. Divine, and when we come back, we're going to go a little deeper. Mm. Y'all stay tuned. This is Necessary Blackness Podcast, and I am your host, Raheem Shabazz. I grudge them, grudge them on, you know. I threw him a fight for black liberation, and him a one true warrior. Them I want to try to stop him. But them can't stop the man. Them can't stop Raheem Shabazz. That's why anytime me want to listen to revolutionary liberation vibes, me tune into Necessary Blackness Podcast. Me not hear them like a yaga yaga podcast them. I be your necessary blackness me rock with. Anytime you want your true warrior talking. Necessary Blackness Podcast. Every Wednesday at 6 p.m. with award-winning journalist and filmmaker Raheem Shabazz. This podcast is only for those who are unapologetic because the mind of the conscious man or woman recognizes no monopoly on truth. Truth is relative and always to be sought. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back from our quick commercial break. And for those that are just joining us, we is here with the brother. Yes, yes. The good brother, yes, P.S. Yes. Divine. And the brother gave us some insight on survival skills. We talked about the book, S.A.S., Survival mm. Guide. He also instructed us on some other books that we should be mindful of and that we should purchase. Mm. Right? Definitely. So make definitely. sure y'all go and y'all check that out. Um, 
no time than ever before. We have time, family. Mm. Um, most of us is still on quarantine. And even if we're not on quarantine, you know, our mobility is restricted. Mm. I know mine's is. Yeah. I ain't running around and out here like everything is back to normal because mm. it ain't. The only thing is normal is you waking up every morning and have to fight racism and white supremacy. Mm. That's a normal thing that we all been dealing with. Facts. And we will continue to deal with that until we learn how to protect ourselves. So um, this brother, man, he is best advised to teach us that um, because he's a martial artist. Um, a lot of people, God, is becoming into consciousness. They're becoming into awareness, and, it, and, it, and it's a beautiful thing. And um, the other day, I seen uh, Beethoven trending on Twitter, mm. and um, people learned for the first time that Beethoven was a black man, mm. and they mm. lost it. Mm. You know, mm. Um, mm. a lot of other stuff started being revealed. You know, that just opened up the floodgates, and people started letting other people know about certain inventions that black people did. Mm. You know, the GPS, the cell phone, like, you know, um, open heart surgery, blood plasma, mm. name it. Facts. We're the originators of this. Original man. Um, the martial arts, you know, me growing up, psh, man, I love them Chinese movies <laughs> and karate movies Facts. and different things like Facts. that. Um, at that young age, you know, I never seen a black martial artist. You know, um, the only one that, uh, you know, um, I never seen one. Mm. You know, um, to me, Bruce Lee was the ultimate mm. martial mm. art artist. And that was the depiction that I got from the movie screen. Mm. Um, growing up, we always thought every Chinese knew martial arts. Mm. Well, was that the same way for you? That's right. It was. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But that's all a lie. America's Facts. built on a lot. There's Facts. exception in all of that. Facts. So, brother, um, me and you talked off camera. I, I want you to tell me about um, the origin of African martial arts. Indeed. And how a lot of these other um, schools of, of thoughts, mm -hmm. you know, for lack of better words, is like, a bastard style of what was originally mm. an African martial arts style. So can you enlighten us on that? Indeed, indeed. So um, you know, like uh one of the one of the uh, couple there's different scholars who have looked into the origin of martial arts and all of them have come to one conclusion that it originated or at least the oldest documented form of martial arts comes out of, you know, the Nile Valley. And they have the, and not only is, you know, this documented, but it's also documented as being the oldest instruction manual still surviving to this day. And it's on a, a tomb in Egypt. And it actually has a depiction, uh, actual art, uh, art depiction of, of men grappling, doing takedowns, wrestling, uh, doing kicks. Uh, they have pictures in there where they're actually doing a belt ceremony, and it's been uh, told to us that the first uh, person to ever, uh, the first uh, system to ever incorporate a belt into it was judo in the 1800s, and we actually have a depiction going back at least, uh, most scholars agree, at least 3,000 years. Um, not only that, but you know, there's different forms of martial arts that belong to different cultures, so like in the Philippines, they have stick fighting, and the oldest form of stick fighting uh, was came out of Egypt, it was referred to as Tatib. Uh, some scholars refer to this Egyptian fighting art as the lotus style. Some people refer to it as Mantu, which was uh, the African word for martial art or you know warrior art. But uh, indeed, we actually have not only the documentation to prove that we originated the arts and from Africa it went into India which is where you know they carried the name Patar that ended up becoming Buddha and then from India the Chinese got it then from Chinese the uh, other Asian countries like Japan Korea and so forth and then just to show how deep it goes 
you know, Europeans, when they started coming into the understanding of martial arts, the World War II, mainly uh, the Korean War and so forth, they brought it back over here. And because of police brutality, many of our, our brothers and sisters in the urban environment started learning the arts to protect themselves. But because of what was in our DNA, our royal DNA, we ended up fashioning it much like the way it was in Egypt. Because now what Europeans do and the Asians do is they separate it. If I want to learn kicking and punching, I go get, you know, if, if I'm in Japan, I learn karate. If I want to learn how to grapple, I learn jujitsu. If I want to learn how to throw somebody on the ground, I do judo. But the African martial arts is more of a universal form of combat and um that's pretty much what my my teacher uh Sidro abdul mutakabir formed he uh created a system called swam spiritual warriors against madness and uh in 1979 and what he did was incorporate several different martial artists but he based it off the practical application of the hood so one of his styles is called Gedaru jiu-jitsu um, another one of his styles that we learn is called Fujuka boxing, which is a mixture of Kung Fu, Jiu-Jitsu, Karate, and Kickboxing. And, and by the way, you mentioned Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee, I used to like look up to him as a guard watching the movies. And then later on, I would come to find out that Bruce Lee, what separated him from the other Chinese that were practitioners of Kung Fu was he had like a boxing style. And we all know that famous movie, uh, you know, and, and when he, that famous scene where he hits the nose, does yeah. the sound, he does the, he starts jogging backwards on his, you know, bicycling backwards, pedaling backwards. Well, Bruce Lee actually got that style from Muhammad Ali. Mm -hmm. And what most people don't realize about Muhammad Ali was he wasn't just a boxer, he was a martial artist because what martial arts do is they take one aspect of movement, whether it's studying a praying mantis and creating a style fighting form off of it. They take some movement and they create a form of fighting and for Muhammad Ali he took the simple movement of jump roping and that became his style and that's what made him so devastating and then Bruce Lee came to America and started coming amongst black people into the urban centers and took Muhammad started studying Muhammad Ali and incorporated that into his system and you know blew up like in most things people they take our stuff and blow up off of it Straight up culture vultures, ladies and gentlemen. That's what it is, man. We're going to call a spade a spade, man. But uh, P.S. Divine, man, it, it definitely was a pleasure uh, building with you, man. You know, this interview was in the making for a little while. We Facts. talked about this back in like January, February came, mm -hmm. and I think our schedule was uh, kind of busy. And then COVID hit, and yeah. it was just like, man... But we got it done, man. This is your first time on Necessary Blackness Podcast. Hopefully, it's not your last. Indeed. Because uh, the brother got some other books that he's definitely going to put out. Um, we're going to continue Absolutely. to support him, man. And um, he's a vital element within our community. So... Um, I don't know if, if if do you teach other people outside your family? Yeah, I'm 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 one of the disciples of Cedro. I've actually was commissioned by him to start my own school, and my wife and I were preparing to do that. Obviously, COVID kind of slowed everything down, but um, he um, you know, he gave me permission to open a school up. And by disciple, what I mean is I'm a black belt. Once you're a black belt in his system, you become one of his disciples. Uh, so yeah, I'm able to teach. I do teach now. Uh, right now, I'm currently doing private teaching and private training. And we train on everything. If you go to my Instagram, p.s.divine, uh, you see we work on everything from knife disarmaments. We work on using the knives as a weapon, using sticks as a weapon, jujitsu. We work out boxing, kickboxing, uh, Brazilian jujitsu, you know, um, pretty much any aspect of the art, whether you want to learn our system or you just want to learn some basic self-defense techniques. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, inbox me at p.s.divine. S. Divine. Uh, you can go in there and see clips of me actually doing some of the arts as well as my son's doing the arts on there. Wow. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Make sure you go and um, check that brother out. Um, I definitely going to um, look into um, actually training with you, brother. Um, cause Sweet. Because we talked earlier and I told you I was training with a brother um, that's no longer residing in Atlanta. Mm. Um, but you could do things through Zoom right now. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So may, maybe some of y'all, man, that y'all not in um, the state of Georgia or Atlanta's not your locale, hit mm -hmm. the brother up, man. Might give you a lesson or two over the Zoom. We do that too. I mean, I, I actually train with my teacher right now through Zoom. So we teach through Zoom too. So definitely, you know, I there think you it's- have it. 
It's imperative for the black man and black woman and black child to learn how to physically defend ourselves. Uh, so that way we can start handling our own situations and not having to worry on worry about crooked cops and, you know, police out there. And then, not, you know, and being able to protect our homes as well for any element that's around us trying to threaten us. So. All right, brother. So listen, in closing, is there anything that I didn't ask you that I should have asked you or that you want to say in your last closing words? Nah, brother, I think we touched on everything. Uh, you know, I just want to remind everybody out there, support the book, Baby Bye. Uh, I haven't had one bad comment about it. Uh, you know, people have said to me they couldn't put it down. I'm, if you know anybody that's incarcerated, please inbox me. I will send a free copy to anyone that is incarcerated. Uh, you just have to send me their information, and we are shipping books. Uh, Rowdy Rebel, that was with GS9, had uh, through one of my brothers, because we're from the same neighborhood, asked for a copy of the book, sent it to him. He loved it. You know, I'm sending it to a couple of brothers right now that's behind the wall. So if you know anyone that's behind the walls, inbox me, p.s.divine, Instagram. Uh, and I'll get it right out to them as well. And, you know, and other than that, just check me out and follow me on my Instagram. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. P.S. Divine right here in the building, Necessary Blackness Podcast. Make sure you go get that book, baby, bye. And y'all know y'all got some folks, man, in your family that's incarcerated. Y'all ain't been returning them letters. Y'all ain't been accepting them collect phone calls. Surprise them, man. Get them a book, man. You know, or, or, you know, let that be something that can open back up the relationship mm. between you and your loved one, man. Because, yo, we living in the last days and times, man. And you don't know. That, that, that may be the last time that you hear from them. They won't you know, even they won't even know you didn't pay for it. They'll think it's a gift right from you. Yeah, they think it's a gift right from you. And, um, you know, COVID-19, man, is, you know, ravishing the entire prison system, mm. you know. Um, and I could just imagine what them brothers and sisters that are in there are dealing with. And um, a book of this magnitude, you know, let me tell you something, man. This can make you escape from behind those Absolutely. walls. You know, um, yo, let me tell you something, man. Book is a weapon, Hmm. So y'all, y'all, y'all go get these books for the, your loved one, man. And um, don't only try to get the free book, man. Support the brother, absolutely. Because with the support, the more individual buy books, the more free books he can give out to the, the much needed individuals that are behind enemy lines. Hmm. So I'm gonna leave y'all with that, family. I'm gonna see y'all next week, same time, same place. Peace. Peace.